RugbyRenegade.com, the number one online strength and conditioning program for rugby. Are you ready to get bigger, stronger, fitter, and faster and dominate your opposition? Welcome to the Rugby Renegade Podcast, where we build machines. Hello and welcome to episode 23 of the Rugby Renegade podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Pro Athlete Supplementation. Please check them out at pas-nutrition.co.uk for all your supplement needs. I'm Jamie Bain and today I interview Jamie Tout, a great strength and conditioning coach from New Zealand who's currently working with the Black Firms, the uh, the women's All Blacks team uh, in their build-up to the World Cup in the summer and uh, he's a really experienced strength and conditioning coach he's got a great wealth of knowledge in sports science and monitoring the work he does at VX Sport uh, and also he's an expert in multi-directional speed and agility for rugby and other sports uh, and that work over xlr8sportstraining.com so give it a listen and let us know what you think hi jamie welcome to the rugby renegade podcast why don't we start by you just telling us a little bit about your background how you got into strength and conditioning and some of the teams you've worked with Thanks, Jamie. Uh, mate, um, I've been in SNC now uh, since early 2000s. Uh, I probably started off with about 20% actually high-performance athletes and about 80% Joe Public. And then I found a niche uh, during speed training, speed and agility training, and set up a company called Accelerate. Uh, we designed strength and conditioning programs mainly focused around how we integrate speed and agility skills, field-based skills. And it was probably at that point in time that um, – my client base changed and I ended up uh, with about 80% professional athletes or or semi-professional and 20% Joe Public. And over the, over the years, I've sort of worked with a, a number of different sports through High Performance Sport New Zealand and get contracted into uh, different environments, whether it's uh, rugby league, rugby union, to work with teams now, not just on speed agility training, but in more recent times, uh, through athlete monitoring and the use of GPS technologies, accelerometers, heart rate, that type of thing. Yeah, so um, obviously, like linear speed is pretty, pretty, pretty understand how to develop that, and and you talked about um, like multi-directional speed. Now, how do you approach developing that, and so that it transfers into the game? Yeah, I think I think the biggest uh, thing to always remind ourselves is is what the game demands, and it's it's through better monitoring that we now understand how many sprints are in a game, how many, how how far they are, whether they're five metres to 15 metres and uh, are they starting from a static position or dynamic starts? And and through that, we can start to better develop our speed and agility programs. If we look at an Usain Bolt, who's at a top speed of around 44 k's an hour, he takes around 41 strides to run the 100 metres. He reaches his maximum speed every time a winner. Um, he takes... A relatively long time to get there but once he is there uh, he holds that that uh, speed pretty much through to the end and that's why we see he might not always be ahead at the 50 but as he wears the athletes down he continues to maintain high speeds while other athletes drop away well the rugby uh, player is a completely different beast uh, they're heavier they're going to have to absorb impact they're carrying a ball there's a lot more uh, unknowns about sort of what the requirements are going to be um, on game day. So what we've seen is that uh, the tight the tight forwards are generally making sprint efforts of around so that 5 to 15 metres. Uh, a lot of those come from uh, a stationary position. So they're getting up off the ground or sprinting away from a set piece, whereas your outside backs, they will be doing a slightly longer sprint, so maybe 15 to 30 metres, 
generally there's a uh, a passive movement behind it. So they're already sort of uh, got some sort of movement before they have to try and accelerate and sprint. And more and more, that's the game of rugby. It's all about accelerations, decelerations and collisions. Yeah, definitely. And and what sort of training approaches would you implement to, to improve that? I think I think we are, we start with trying to have a, a good form, like in terms of trying to coach some sort of technique. In saying that, I don't think we need to make all the athletes look pretty. I think um, if something's effective and it looks ugly, but it's still effective and they're still powerful, then we work we work with that and try not make too many really big gross changes. Uh, the only reasons for making big form changes I see in, in coaching um, speed and agility is if it's going to cause an injury to the athlete or injury to another athlete. Um, and then we sort of consider, well, what's what's the byproduct of changing the form or, or not changing it? Once we've got that, it's sort of it's no different, I guess, to developing strength. We we work through a strength phase uh, through using resisted sprinting. So I, I still use a lot of harness work, uh, a because it helps encourage good form, but b I do like the idea of contrast training. So creating that load for a, um, a few meters and and letting the athlete go um, as a rule of thumb. If we're working with those tight forwards, it might be that we're working three to five meters of resisted work and then two to three times that unresisted. So it would be a five meter hold and a 10 to maybe a, a five to 10 to a 15 meter sprint. Then with your backs, you might be working over that sort of five to seven meters with a hold and then letting them go and maybe running up to sort of that 15, 20, 25 meters without. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. And I, th- I think you're right. Sometimes people spend too long trying to get that perfect, those perfect mechanics and not actually developing the, the speed. And if you say if it's already, you know, it does the job already, that's efficient enough. Um, I think sometimes they, they look at sprinters and see that perfect form and think everyone's got to have that. But, um, you know, you've got a limited training time with rugby players. So you've, you've got to make sure you're getting your bang for your buck. So I think that's a really good point. Um, so, so many things going on, mate. So many, so many different parts. So like, and that's, yeah. that's, I guess, the, the big thing is how do we integrate what we do with the coach? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That, it's That's where it all sort of comes together and things really work when the, the rugby stuff and the, and the S&C is all tied in. Um, so let's look at strength development a bit. What, what are your sort of go-to methods when trying to develop strength for rugby players? I think with the, the athletes I'm working with at the moment, I operate two uh, remote programs. So I've got uh, the New Zealand women's rugby team, the Black Ferns, and I'm also looking after the uh, the rugby referees for New Zealand rugby. So I've got two very different um, demographics there. I've got uh, the referees who are a professional group. They can train uh, day in, day out. They've got a, a relatively uh, long season, so we look for sort of concurrent gains. So we're not trying to work on speed or aerobic or strength to in any in any favour. We're trying to keep a, a pretty consistent baseline throughout the season. So one of our our mottos is really we could test on any given day and we're going to test uh, to meet the standards that World Rugby set. Mm-hmm. Um, we try and do a lot of strength work that complements their, uh, I guess, their movement abilities as well. So we're dealing with an older demographic. And when I say older, I'm putting myself in that same category. Like that we're dealing with, largely uh, sort of late 20s to late 30-year-olds who may or may not have an, uh, a playing background. They're doing a lot of travelling. Uh, they may be not as robust as what they used to be. So we're trying to develop tolerance through good strength training, exposing them to uh, small amounts of plyometrics and speed training all in sort of one session. On the other side of that, 
we've got the black ferns who have got a, a high um, variation in their training age. We've got athletes coming in straight out of school who are um, 17 and 18, uh, training for the first time in a weights environment where we are looking to try and just develop their core lifts and spend a fair bit of time in that hypertrophy stage just trying to get things right. And on the other scale, we've got athletes that have been around the game for a decade and I won't, call, won't say it's maintenance, we're always looking to improve, but how we treat those athletes in, um, in their regions is, is quite different. Um, we're fortunate that we've got really good support from the provincial unions in New Zealand rugby where we've got training hubs set up. So my role um, overseeing that program is to work with those, those nine different PUs and try and guide them along uh, looking to our pinnacle events, which this year is uh, the World Cup in August. Yeah, so um, you sort of said previously off-air before about, you know, planning for your pre-World Cup camp. What, what sort of things have you have you got in store if you're happy to give them away? Yeah, oh, mate, I'm happy to share. Like, it's, I think I'm a believer in you can give people the ingredients to bake a cake, but it doesn't stop them burning it. <laughs> um, it's... Uh, we, we've got 52 athletes been identified uh, in January um, after we come back from our tour of England and Ireland last year. Uh, we reselected our squad, and there was a bit of movement in that. Uh, those 52 athletes now are in those nine provincial unions getting contact time with a, a strength and conditioning coach and a skills coach. Um, but again, they are holding down full-time jobs. They've got families. They're studying, so they're not, they're not professional by any stretch. Uh, the closest we've got to a professional athlete are some of the ath- uh, athletes coming back from sevens who have made themselves available for the 15 selection this year. So periodically, um, we'll go around th- those regions and we'll have uh, national camps. So we had a two-day camp uh, last weekend where all the players come into a, a central location. Uh, they got exposed to the, the, the Blackburns coaches as well as um, some S&C work and the nutritionist. So it's a good sort of chance to eyeball the athlete and see where they're at. Um, but a lot of the a lot of the legwork, a lot of the groundwork has actually been done back in the, the regional unions, which we rely on heavily. Yeah. Now, um, you, you've kind of mentioned already, you know, the, the monitoring that, that you do with VX Sport and um, and how you've, you've used that into applying it into speed training. How do you see the use of GPS technology evolving in rugby, possibly in line with some of the things we were talking about previously about, you know, the, the just the, the change in the, the physical characteristics of rugby players? I think the the biggest thing is with anything, whether it's a training method you asked about strength before or whether now we're talking about technology, it's just keeping reminding ourselves to be simple and effective. And sometimes we maybe over-engineer a solution and it becomes too complicated. And I think technology is a good example of that whereby – we're probably now starting to get past just collecting numbers and the, the little units themselves are collecting a million data points every 90 minutes per athlete. They're generating 270 to 300 columns of data and it's just in no one's best interest when you're trying to uh, make decisions on the grass and trying to win games on a sad day to even consider looking at all those different columns. So refining it down to look at what's, what's relevant and as we've already talked about, things like accelerations and collisions uh, are, are big rocks for us. They're, they're things that we know if we monitor well, we can introduce those into our our weekly routines. We can give the athletes better tolerance to those, those types of loads, those types of metrics, um, and really avoid the interesting numbers. Like it's it's interesting that the, the heartbeat's 
13 and a half thousand times during a game, but no one's going to do anything with that number. <laughs> yeah. It's it's, inter- it's interesting that the blood goes around the body 270 times in the game, but no one's going to do anything with that number. Yeah. So it's just trying to find what metrics matter and, and how we can use it day to day. And could you give a, I know all environments are different, could you give an insight into what what might be some of the key the key bits of data they they look at, or you've obviously already mentioned acceleration, decelerations. Yeah, that and I think uh, high intensity distance covered is still a relative one that we look at across positions. Um, I know there's a, a bit of debate at the moment whether or not we look at total distance covered or potentially we look at uh, the metabolic equivalent distance, and that's sort of an interesting one for me at the moment. I'm not putting a huge amount of emphasis on it, but it's interesting because it sort of encompasses the accelerations and decelerations and has an offset added to the distance. So that's, I think that's maybe an area that I, I will look at later on. Um, but it's also working with the coach to try and understand if I'm going to measure something new, how does that relate to their game plan and how does that relate to maybe a technical or tactical piece of data? Um, and I think with the things like acceleration may relate to better line speed um, high intensity distance covered might relate to uh, having a better tempo or, or arriving at the, the breakdown a little bit faster and then it becomes, well, you're getting to more breakdowns, is that affecting your accuracy? And and trying to work out sort of which, which mat- metrics match up with others. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that, this is just uh, kind of another question because some, some people do it differently when they monitor... Uh, obviously for speed and, and moving into the high intensity stuff whether what's your opinion should you should you do it relative to the to the individual speed or look at it as an absolute measure i don't think it hugely matters as long as you're consistent um if, if you know as an example that all the players uh, high intensity speed benchmark is say it's 15 k's an hour that's a reasonably common number if we say we're, we're measuring that and we know that all the outside backs tend to end up somewhere between 20 and 23% of high-intensity distance. That's that's their norm. If we know that the, the tidies are somewhere between till, uh, 10 and 12.5%, well, that becomes their norm. Um, that's, that's one approach. On the other side of things, if you're looking at workload, we can't then always give our outside backs a bias by creating a workload number that favours them. And by that, I mean, if we only measure number of sprints, high intensity distance, number of accelerations, you're likely going to always end up with your outside backs having high workload numbers. But if you add in other variables like collisions, all of a sudden that starts to favor your tidies that are going through more collisions in the game and it starts to balance out. So I think it's I think it's important to, yes, have um, uh, relative standards where it's uh, appropriate, like in workload, but if you looking trying to set set thresholds and you haven't done monitoring before setting absolute numbers is actually okay it's um as you refine your process you'll you'll move up and down a kilometer here and there but uh starting with something that's constant is probably a, a good place to to be yeah yeah really good advice now this is a question we ask all our guests on the podcast what do you think is the biggest mistake rugby players make when it comes to strength and conditioning uh trying to do too much so in terms of Get your big rocks in place. Um, agree on what those things are for you. Um, understanding that you don't need to be a 10 out of 10 in every different discipline. And then you can always add add the sand in later on. So 
you try and pour sand into a glass first and then add the big rocks later, they never fit. But uh, just get your, your non-negotiables in place first and pour the sand in later is, uh, is a good, is probably my best piece of advice. Um, I know guys like Nick Gill uh, talk about they set their program, they implement their program, and they evaluate it, and it's just a constant cycle. Program, implement, evaluate, and let's keep on keep on repeating. And I think um, we don't need lots and lots of variation to see improvement. Uh, variation satisfies the athlete because it keeps things interesting and fun, but repetitions in terms of lifting and exercise and skills is really how we perfect things. So it's just trying to find that balance between the fun aspect and getting the repetitions that you need. Yeah, and it's, it's difficult because rugby is one of those sports where you need, you know, certain levels of all physical qualities. So, you know, there's so many things you've got to cover off. But, yeah, you're right. You've got to find out what are what are the most important things for the, for that athlete, that position, and, and focus on those. Um, so moving on, um, what sort of advice would you give to an upcoming strength and conditioning coach? I think um, find some find some good mentors. There's There's plenty of guys out there that, uh, in the game at the moment have been doing things for a long time and we don't need to to reinvent the wheel, um, do less things better. So I think um, your Tim Gabbitts, uh, your Martin Boucher's, those sort of people are, uh, are really good to look at. Um, Tim Gabbitt obviously doing a huge amount of really good work at the moment in uh, the workload space around acute and chronic loads. Uh, I think it's something that's going to have a, a lot of um, impact and longevity in our, our game. Um, he's got some really good analogies, Tim. I think um, he talks about how beer, when drinking beer, relates to workload. You may have heard this one already, but he yeah. says uh, when you when you uh, have a spike in your beer load, so you have a, a big bender, you tend to get hangovers. But if you are beer is not really the problem; it's the beer that you prepare for. And training training's like that; it's a tolerance, and try to expose your athletes to a, the right level of tolerance uh, without overdoing it is is key. So. Yeah, I like where, where Tim's at with that. Um, the other guy to have a look at that gives away lots and lots of good resources is a guy called John Life. Um, John is a, probably a self-confessed um, sports geek XL guru. Um, and with the amount of data that's out there, trying to find ways to bring that data together for a young SNC is is crucial. And, uh, and John's a, a really good one for giving away free resources and got a, um, a good YouTube page that uh i think they would find really interesting yeah i've, I've definitely spent hours watching those uh, youtube videos <laughs> helping me get through spreadsheets um and yeah, yeah i agree we, we've had tim as a as a guest on the podcast and yeah his analogies are great i think if you can apply anything to to drinking rugby players tend to understand it better um, <laughs> yeah. but and, and on that um you know not not all players you know really enjoy um strength and conditioning you know as much as we do um, how how do you go about sort of dealing with a player who who perhaps just prefers going out and doing the rugby stuff and, and doesn't really focus on their S and C? How do you how do you get more buy in from the player? I think there's I think there's two ways to do it. Uh, the first way um, is, is through the coach and having that really good integrated approach through um, bouncing a a five minute conditioning window with a, a skill acquisition task, and so we, we try and do that a lot. Um, with Glenn Moore, who I'm working with at the moment with the Black Ferns, and really enjoy working with Glenn uh, in terms of how we can we can do that successfully. So finding a theme for the session, whether it's uh, line speed again, might be the example where I can get some uh, accelerations and decelerations as part of my conditioning into his 
his uh, part of his 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 uh, skill program as well. And probably the other theory I live by: if you if you ever want to create frequency, you've got to have some fun. So trying to find ways that we can do that through through game based conditioning. Um, and the second way is they're athletes that are competitive. The moment you create competition in your drills, whether it's through a ladder or making them run out to 20 metres but getting chased by someone, the moment they get chased, it becomes a competition. It creates intensity. So if you can create frequency through fun and intensity through competition, uh, frequency and intensity generally get you a good outcome. So just trying to be, I guess, resourceful in that way and also working, integrating with your coach. Yeah, that's some great advice there. Um, and are there any, um, going back to the uh, kind of upcoming strength and conditioning coach, are there any sort of books or resources other than the XR Tricks of Sports that you mentioned, any books you'd recommend for them? Oh, look, I think I think the thing is, this, it's rather than books, it's it's sort of trying to increase your network by getting on uh, your LinkedIn and your social media pages. And when you are uh, going to a different country, reaching out to an SNC coach, we're all pretty approachable. I know we are all stretched for time, but generally speaking, if a young guy is persistent and they come back with you with good questions and creating that sort of dialogue and asking the questions they want to want to know about, um, it's very hard. I think um, picking up a book and just finding the the answer to the things that you really want to know. So maybe trying to, to build your network that way. Uh, when you go to conferences, it's great listening to some of these guys speak, but try and hang around in those sort of down times and, and find those those people that are happy to have a coffee with you and um, share share ideas. And I think there's a, a lot of that going on. There's a lot of um, guys around the world now who I know would go and do their PD, not just to a conference, but they will tag on a visit to another team and they'll, they'll share ideas that way and it doesn't need to be in your sport. It doesn't need to be rugby. Um, there's amazing programs in the AFL. There's there's great uh, great resources around uh, cricket or in the European football scene. So it's just a matter of trying to find guys you relate to and ask, ask the questions that you want to know the answers to. Yeah, definitely. I think you're right. Conferences, I think you tend to come away from them thinking you've got more from the actual networking than you do from the actual lectures and things um and, and it goes back to your, your previous answers that's the way you best way to build you know get mentors and things like that um and and also yeah don't don't be afraid to look at other sports because there's so many you know good sports teams doing you know things that we can apply in rugby um there's no no reason to be sort of closed off and just sort of look at other rugby teams so it's great advice uh lastly jamie where um where can people learn more about yourself uh, look, so I've got uh, a couple of active sites. Um, VX, VXSport.com is sort of the athlete monitoring we've got going on at the moment, uh, doing some really cool things, I think, at the moment around uh, managing that chronic and acute load. Um, also, AccelerateSportsTraining.com, uh, and we offer on AccelerateSportsTraining.com a couple of online courses for speed and agility uh, training. Uh, and also, there is a mentor program on there as well that people can, can uh, reach out and tap into if they, if they so wish. Awesome. Thanks, Jamie. Uh, we will, of course, share links to, to both of those in the show notes. And uh, all the best with the, with the World Cup with the Black Ferns. Yeah, looking forward to it, Jamie. Thanks for your time, mate. Cheers, Jamie. So there you go. Another great podcast. And we'd like to thank Jamie for taking the time to talk to us and share his insights into his career and wish him all the best with the Black Ferns in the World Cup in the summer. In the meantime, please subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher or TuneIn and give us a five-star review. And of course, keep checking us out at rugbyrenegades.com for 
upcoming articles and videos, trying to get a lot more video content out for you. And of course, check out the online subscription program where we put strength, conditioning and injury prevention together to get you stronger, fitter, faster and stay injury free so you can dominate your opposition on the rugby field. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Renegade Podcast. For more quality rugby strength and conditioning information, check us out at rugbyrenegade.com. Rugby Renegade, building machines.